stuff. We do it every month. Uh, so this hopefully will take us deeper in that understanding as well. So we start in uh, John 6, and I'll start reading with verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because, the because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And then to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll do the first 17 verses. Paul is writing here, and he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, 
as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will let, not let you he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as two sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, very soon, Karen and I are going to be celebrating our 33rd wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah. You know, it, that sounds really good until you realize that Dave and Gail that, that are here, our friends, they're about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. And there was a time when I, after our 25th, I really thought, hey, 25 years, we're pretty good. I went back to my home church in the States, and that weekend, they were having a celebration for two couples in the church, one that had been married for 72 years, and the other had been married for 73 years. So, lest you, you know, think that, that's, that's, I can tell you, that's older than Dave is. That they, you know, so you look at Dave, and their marriage has lasted longer, and they're, they're actually still married. Uh, and so it, it's quite, a, quite an extraordinary thing. And, but in 33 years, you learn a few things, right? You learn, for example, that there are some things that bring you together and enhance your union because we're, we are united. I mean, when you're married, the two become one flesh. Uh, you are united, and there's a spiritual reality there. There's a, a, a definite union that occurs there that is vital, intimate, organic, that's very real, even though you, all, you don't always see it. And I have learned that during that time, there are certain things that can enhance our union, and there are certain things that take away from our union. You know, for example, one of the things we love to do being, you know, even though we've been here for 17 years, uh, I still, you know, am from the United States, and I used to say in the United States, if God wanted us to walk, he wouldn't have given us four wheels. You know, so, uh, so one of the things we've always done is take nice long road trips. And we've taken road trips, and we've enjoyed that time together. Uh, and and it, we've done that in a lot of different kinds of cars. Uh, we like the one we have now, but we've, we've had different kinds of cars over the years. And the one thing I've learned is it doesn't matter what car we're in as long as we're together, right? And we're traveling together, and that generally enhances our relationship. And I have discovered that if there's a dishwasher, if there is one in our house, it's not my name, uh, you know, it's not a named dishwasher, but if there's a dishwasher and the dishwasher is open and the, the basket is pulled out and it's empty that it is detrimental to my union with my wife 
to put my plate on top of the sink over the empty dishwasher and not into the dishwasher. You know, that does not promote marital harmony. It does, does not promote our union. Uh, but the thing is, even when I do that, Karen has never threatened to divorce me. Uh, kill me a few times, but not divorce me. And, and that is the reality of any kind of real union that we have, whether it's a union like in marriage or even a friendship union. There are things that will draw us closer together as friends. There will be things that, that uh, bring us apart. And there are certain things that God has designed in his sovereign purposes to bless a union, to bring us closer together, whether it is with friends or relatives uh, or even strangers. And one of the most profound things is the breaking of bread together, sharing food together. In every culture of the world, sharing food together is a powerful force for bringing people together. And the same is true with God. Oh, our union with Christ is every bit as real as my union with my wife. In fact, as we've been seeing these past number of months, all of our salvation can be described as union with Christ Jesus. When we are saved by grace through faith, we are united with Christ Jesus so that in the words of Christ, he comes and dwells in us and we in him. And that's even repeated in the passage today that we read in John, uh, I in them and they in me. And that is our reality of our salvation by grace through faith. We are united with Christ Jesus in a way that is mysterious, sure, but is very real and really gives us life and our eternal life comes through that connection with Jesus Christ and every single one of us as Christians have that union with Christ. And because of that union with Christ, we're justified. It's not just some isolated forensic event that happened, it is something that happens on a day-by-day -day basis in that union with Christ our sins are forgiven. We are justified before God. We are sanctified. We have that because of our union with Jesus Christ. We are adopted. That comes immediately in our union with Jesus Christ so that we become sons of God as Jesus himself is the son of God. And that's all of us. We have the benefit of being together as the bride of Christ and being together as the body of Christ. We have the promise that the Jesus who united us with himself will preserve us in that union and that one day we will be glorified in that union with Christ Jesus. And this is our reality as believers. We have this union in communion with Jesus Christ that we share with one another. We literally participate or share our lives together in union with Christ Jesus in a very real, vital, dynamic way. But because of that, we struggle a little bit. We struggle because we don't always see it. We struggle because we don't always understand it. And because we struggle, Jesus has given us a means to remember, to reaffirm, to rejoice in and to go deeper in that union that we have with Christ Jesus. 
Now this, this, this thing that God has given us doesn't make us more united with Jesus Christ any more than Karen and I taking a road trip together makes us more united as husband and wife. We are united with hus- as husband and wife just as we are united with Christ Jesus, but it is a very important reality that we share together, and we do that here each month, and of course, you know, I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. But before we embrace that, we also have to become very conscious of things that will cause disharmony in our union with Christ, that will interfere with our union with Christ. Now, these things don't disunite us with Jesus Christ, because Jesus promised in the passage that we read in John that those who come to him, he will raise them up at the last day. There's a reality, a promise that we have So these things, they don't disunite us with Jesus in this context, but they certainly disrupt that union that we have with Christ, and we need really to avoid these things like the plague. And what are those things? It's the things that Paul mentioned there in 1 Corinthians, and he mentioned just a a, a few different areas. Now, to deal with this, we must realize that sin is very serious. You know, when we talk about having a union with Christ and we talk about all these benefits, that doesn't mean that we no longer sin. That doesn't mean that sin is no longer important. Sin is very, very important. And sin is something that we must take very, very seriously as the people of God. And Paul in this passage from 1 Corinthians, he talked about four sin areas that always create disharmony in our union with Jesus Christ. The first one was idolatry. That's from Exodus chapter 32. That's the reference there of what Paul is talking about. How do you know what an idol is? An idol is anything that you are looking to for your significance, security, or acceptance outside uh, outside of Christ. So for example, if you think, well, I've got two million pounds in my bank account and and I'm in a pretty good place and I feel really secure, then your bank account has just become your idol. If you think, oh, you know, I've got all these friends around me and, and, you know, I've got 5,000 Facebook friends or 5 million Facebook friends, they must really accept me and I feel really accepted, then Facebook is becoming your idol and so on and so forth. So God takes idolatry very seriously because if we're united with Jesus, we cannot be united with any other false idol. Just like if I'm united with my wife, I don't go walking around the streets of London thinking, oh wow, she's kind of cute and a little bit of a younger model, maybe I should marry her. So, you know, maybe when Karen dies, you know, because I'm not going to be unfaithful, so maybe when she dies, then I'm going to marry this other. You know, that kind of thinking is the equivalent of idolatry. I've got one wife, just as I've got one Lord, Jesus Christ, and my allegiance is to my one wife, and my allegiance is to my one Lord, Jesus Christ. The second area, and this is really a big area in the world today, it is sexual immorality. And the reference there is Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Now, a lot of people get really uptight 
when Christians start talking about sexual immorality and they're like, oh, you know, you're just trying to spoil our fun or uh, uh, this kind of thing. And many even Christians start to wonder, you know, what, what is this all about? Sexual immorality is a problem in terms of our union with Christ because sexual immorality represents wrongful union. It's about being united to something, someone that you should not be united to or being united in a wrong way. So sexual immorality violates our union with Christ. And that's why he takes it so seriously. And then you've got the next thing, Numbers 21, and you think, okay, how, how do I express this? Well, you can express it in one word, and that word is ingratitude. Ingratitude, particularly toward God. And in this case, they put Christ to the test because of their impatience and ungratefulness. They were not grateful for God's provision. They were not grateful for what God was doing in their lives. And that ingratitude was testing the patience of the Lord. Thankfulness is one of the most important ways that we show honor to the Lord and acknowledge all the things that he's done for us. And when we are ungrateful, when we show ingratitude, it is an insult to God. By the way, it's an insult to one another as well. And a lot of people, they never say thank you. They never show respect to one another by showing their gratitude. Uh, and that's a big issue. And then the last area, oh no, excuse me, the, the fourth area is grumbling. This comes from Numbers 14. And this is grumbling about people, especially our leaders. So you see what we tend to do here. You know, sometimes we can have false idols, sometimes we can be sexually immoral, but we start to get ungrateful toward God, which I would say is probably a bigger issue than we realize, and then we start to grumble, we start to grumble about other people and grumble about the leaders that God has, has have placed in our lives. And this kind of grumbling as opposed to praying is an offense to the Lord. It's not, this is not a touch not the Lord's anointed kind of dynamic. This is a reality that disrupts our relationship, our union with Christ Jesus, because it disrupts our union with one another in Christ Jesus. So these sin areas are very, very important. And you could probably add a fifth one, and that would be pride, because Paul says, take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. And so often we do this. So we need to avoid these areas if we want to nurture our union and communion with one another and with Christ Jesus and take these sin areas very seriously in our lives. Uh, and it's very easy not to do that. It's very easy just to get caught up in what everybody else is doing and not really examine ourselves. And that's really the issue. This is not about examining other people, but about examining yourself. And as we deal with these sin issues in our lives, we will begin to experience a deeper union and communion with Jesus Christ and with one another. Just as when I learn in an in a almost silly way, when I learn how to actually operate the dishwasher, it promoted a more harmonious union in my communion, uh, a more harmonious union in my communion, uh, a more harmonious communion in my union with Christ, with Je not, not Christ, but with Karen. <laughs> Sorry, is that idolatry if I confuse my wife and Jesus? I don't know. Uh, boy, I, you get tongue-tied sometimes. Okay, 
So let's take a moment. And let's spend right now, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Lord just to reveal to your heart any of these sin areas in your life. And you need to repent. And repent is you confess. You say, God, yes, I've done this. And I turn away from it. And I thank you for the forgiveness that I have in Christ Jesus. Can we do that? And we are always forgiven in Christ Jesus when we repent because of the cross of Christ. It's paid for all of our sins. So let's take a moment. Father, I do pray that right now in the quiet of our hearts, you would reveal if we've had idolatry, sexual immorality, uh, ingratitude, crumbling, or pride, so that we might confess these things to you, knowing that you are faithful and just when we confess our sins to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's just spend a moment before the Lord now. Father God, I thank you that in Christ Jesus, as we confess our sins and turn away from those, you do forgive us, and we thank you for that reality. We thank you for that love that you've shown us. We thank you for that blessing through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so now we can move deeper into our communion and union with Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us such a powerful illustration of this reality there in John chapter 6. Now I'm not going to go through every verse as I, I might normally uh, and, and talk about each verse, but it certainly is one of the most confusing passages for a lot of Christians. They look at it, they read it, they think, okay, what is this saying? What does this mean? And I'd like to take just a few minutes to suggest what Jesus is telling us here and reminding us that this is all about our union with Christ Jesus and how we experience a, a communion, a fellowship with Jesus Christ in that union. Jesus is giving us himself. He's giving us his flesh. He's giving us his blood in order to nurture our fellowship with him. And when he does that, he gives us himself as the living bread. He says, I am the living bread. And I'm going to make you some promises, he said. First of all, we will not be cast out. Everybody who comes to him, is drawn to him, will not be cast out. As the living bread, he promises us that we will not be lost. You know, Jesus doesn't suddenly forget where we are. He, we are united with him in a very real way. And he gives us a promise that as we are united with him as the living bread, that we will have eternal life and be raised up on the last day. This is the reality that we have. These are the promises that we have that come from Jesus as we receive him as the living bread. And in light of that, Jesus gives himself to us as the living bread and invites us to feed on him to feed on him, to take him inside. You know, think about what happens with bread 
when you put bread in your mouth and you swallow it, you've seen the bread there, but suddenly the bread is gone, but the reality of the bread is still there. The reality of the bread is inside of you. You can't really see it, but it is there. It is a reality that nurtures you. And Jesus is saying the same thing, that there was a time you could see him, but now that you can't see him in the Lord's Supper, we take him inside, if you will. So the reality is there, even though we don't see it. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that, a reminder for us of that. So Jesus gives himself to us as the living bread to experience the life that we have in him. Verse 54. He wants us to know that we really are alive and we have a, a deep life with him. To experience also genuine food and genuine drink to nourish our, union and commun our communion and union with him. In ways that we don't fully comprehend, even as we don't fully comprehend how Jesus is in us and we are in Christ, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, we're experiencing again the reality of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ broken for us and uh, shed for us on the cross. And we experience the reality, according to verse 56, that we abide in him and he abides in us. Again, just as we take the bread into our bodies, we take Jesus into us in a way that we don't fully comprehend, but that doesn't make it not real. It doesn't make it not true. It just means that we don't fully understand it. But saying this does not diminish the reality of it. Just like our love for one another. And I have a love for Olashina, for example. I, I'm you know, tired of picking on my wife a little bit. Uh, so I thought I'd move on to one of my best friends. Uh, I've got this love for Olashina. Now, I don't understand where this love comes from. I really don't. It's not because he's done a lot of great things for me. You know, it's not because we're, we're like brothers from a different mother kind of scenario. It's not because we were twins separated at birth, so we've got the same genetic material. You know, there, but there's a love there. There's a connection there. There is a reality there that we share. And I know that he loves me as I love him. I know that that connection is there. And I know that that connection will remain even when we might not remain connected in the same vital way. Just like with Dave and Gail, we've known them for many years, but we haven't seen them in a few years now. But as soon as we met in the airport, it was like we saw them last week. There's a vital reality of connection that happens, and if that happens with us as people, as limited human beings, how much more do you think that that happens with Jesus Christ? And so when we receive Christ Jesus, when we come into union with him, we are coming into that real vital connection with Jesus Christ that gives us life, that sustains us, even though we don't fully comprehend or understand it. But we can respond to it. And how do we respond to it? We respond in faith to Jesus as he offers himself to us. How do we do it? First of all, we have to remember. Jesus said, do this remembering me. 
Do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember what Christ has done for us and that we are united with him. But this remembrance is not just remembering something that happened in the past and say, oh God, that's really great. Thank you for it. It's a bit like going back, picking on my wife again, remembering that I'm married. You know, I have a wedding ring on that reminds me. And so if ever I'm walking down the street and I'd be tempted to look at another woman, then I need to remember that I'm married, which means bringing the reality of what happened 33 years ago into this present moment so that it still informs how I live and how I, and how I behave. And so when we remember Jesus, when we remember what he's done, when we remember by eating the bread and drinking the cup, we are bringing that past event into our present reality and allowing it to inform us and to remind us that because of that past event coming into our present reality, we live in a different way. And that's the reality we experience even as we share in the Lord's Supper. The second thing we need to do in faith is to recognize the very real presence of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't know how that happens exactly. I certainly think the Lord's Supper is more than just a nice token that we have. And I certainly wouldn't go so far as, say, in Roman Catholicism, where you believe in transubstantiation that becomes the actual bread and the actual body of Jesus Christ. But I do know that Jesus Christ really is here and really is present. And if you are in Christ Jesus, when you eat that bread and drink that cup, you are reaffirming that you have taken Christ into yourself and Christ has taken you into himself and that you are connected to him. And we need to recognize that he really is here. He really is at this table. He really is with us. He really is in us, even though we don't see him. And third, we need to realize that we who are many are one body. That even as we eat from the one bread, and that's one of the reasons why here at City Temple we always do one loaf. Because I want it to be the reminder that we're all one body. That we're all united in Christ Jesus. That even as we are united with Christ, we are in union with one another. And so as we approach the table today, I encourage you to remember what Christ has done and bring it into your present reality to recognize the fact that Jesus Christ really is here and really is present in the bread and the cup and also to realize that we are part of the one body of Jesus Christ. And every time we do this, every time we share in this, we are reminding ourselves of our ongoing communion in union with Christ Jesus and the reality of that union that we have in Jesus Christ. Every time we take that bread in us and take that cup in us, we're reminded that Jesus Christ is in us and we are in Jesus Christ. And we're encouraged to go forth in that reality. This is our reality as the people of God. This is our reality as the body of Christ. And when I look at this table, I've always kind of chuckled a little bit, thinking it's the Lord's Supper. Uh, I know tonight that I will have supper, and I know that it will consist of more than a loaf of bread and a small cup. And I know that Dave is very thankful for that. 
because he'll be at our house tonight. And you think, how can you talk about this as supper? But every time I take this cup, every time I take this bread, I'm reminded of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And this is just the starter. This is just the beginning of the great feast that we're going to share together. Friends, we are one with Christ Jesus. All who are saved by grace through faith are one with Christ Jesus. And today we will celebrate our union with Christ as we celebrate communion. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this reality. I pray, Father, that you, through your son Jesus, would meet us here at this table today and that you'd take us deeper into our understanding of our union with Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. I pray that you would cause us to remember the reality of who Jesus is for us today because of what he did 2,000 years ago. I pray for us that you would help us to recognize the reality of Jesus in us and that we are in Christ. And I pray that you'd help us to realize our oneness in Christ Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night